so please sit comfortably. Although, it's also actually a lovely thing, whenever a teisha was given or words are given, to actually sit and remain in the sazen. It can be just a beautiful way to receive the, receive the melody of the words. And I'm very aware, sitting here today, that we're in a pretty raw moment. And we are living in what was possibly already recognised as a mixed world, a mixed, untidy, rollicking world. But that has been made so very plain in the last months, really the last years, the last decades, in fact, that have led up to this particular referendum that we all participated in yesterday. And it's not lost on me that we have this great reckoning as a country, you know, an opportunity for a kind of reconciliation or at least an opportunity to step together, walk together, to realise long term some kind of reconciliation. And as I'm watching the no results come surging in last night, it was impossible to ignore all of the updates on Israel happening at the very same time. Here is another apparently insoluble, fractious, volatile reality that we're all in. That we're all in. And I think we've all been rocked and shocked and jolted and moved and perhaps have ridden on some waves of hope along the way. And, of course, the story doesn't end yesterday. Here we are today. (laughs) Here we are today. But I want to actually step into how to be here today. How does our practice actually inform, you know, living in such a mixed, topsy-turvy world? This is, of course, the great medicine of our way, the great medicine of our practice is to not turn away from the fact that this world is mixed and topsy-turvy, but to embody this fully, to become each one of us the medicine itself. So how? How do we do this? How does practice make this clear? That's what I want to look at today in this talk. And I want to do it by taking up initially a case from the record of Zhao Zhou, where a monk who could be any one of us this morning comes up to Zhao Zhou and says, I am chaotically adrift and drowning. How can I get out of it? I am chaotically adrift and drowning. How can I get out of it? And the master just sat motionless. Just sat in Sazen. Then the monk said, I'm asking you sincerely. You can hear the pleading nature of this monk. I'm asking you sincerely. Don't just give me some kind of looking good practice. I'm asking you sincerely. I am chaotically adrift and drowning. How do I get out of it? And then Jaja said, where are you adrift and drowning? 
Where? Where are you adrift and drowning? This is actually a question that takes us all the way into the very heart of where, which is, of course, the very heart of here. Where are you? And what is here? What is this place? Where is it that you actually belong and can actually recognise yourself in the midst of circumstances? All of that is in play here. So we all know, I think, this desire to get out of it. <laughs> when we are chaotically adrift and drowning, when things are really difficult, when things feel impossible, we just want to find a way out. It's the great flight of the mind. It's the great human, almost panicked instinct to try and get out. We all know this. We all know that when the chips are down, we just want to get on a plane and fly as far away from possible from all of our woes. But notice that Jiao Zhou doesn't make any kind of flight move. If there's any flight at all, it's actually flying back into his own body, back into his own place. He takes refuge right where he is. And in the very word refuge is this etymology of fly back, fly back, come back, come back home. So this sitting of Zhao Zhou's, this he just sat motionless, pushes nothing away. It actually refuses to run away, refuses to reject the reality of this chaotically adrift and drowning. But I actually love that this monk also pushes back a little bit and says, come on, come on, it can't be so simple as that, can it? That looks a little bit almost pious to me. You know, just the good Zen master sitting endlessly in profound Zazen. Come on, buddy, this monk seems to say. I'm asking you sincerely. I want a sincere response. Now, of course, Jiao's response has already been exactly sincere. It is the very depth of sincerity itself. But this monk, I like his sincerity. And after all, this practice is nothing without exactly this kind of sincerity. If we can't bring our honest questions, our honest feelings, our honest fears to this very place with each other, we're not practicing. We're not living an honest, open, real, engaged, vulnerable, and yet secure in vulnerability kind of life. So, Chowder offers a little bit more. He says, where are you adrift and drowning? Where are any of us adrift and drowning? In the wake of all that has been going on, how and where are you adrift and drowning in these circumstances? This is what becomes clear in Zazen. 
when we just sit here with no agenda, no intention, no moving off, then the very quality of where we are adrift and drowning in the ocean of our self-nature actually becomes vivid and we can see it and we can touch it and we can share it and we can convey it and we can respond in meaningful ways to this troubled world that we find ourselves in. And I love this image of the ocean of essential nature. It's often used in Buddhism. You will have perhaps encountered it in various readings or perhaps you've heard it mentioned in the dedications that we have in our practice. The ocean of essential nature. This is a great image of the boundlessness of our actual being. The way that our body does not end at the skin. We are creatures that inhabit and fulfil the ocean of essential nature. And this ocean, of course, has great waves and great depths. And sometimes there are storms. And sometimes the ocean is calm. And we agree to being this ocean. That is the nature of our practice. It's all ocean. It's all ocean. Sometimes ripples, sometimes great dumps. But it's all the sea. It's all the ocean. And waking up to this is almost being refreshed by this fact. Rather than trying again to push away these ways, we allow ourselves to be woken up by each wave. I went swimming recently in the ocean in Barrie and my God, it was cold. <laughs> Walking into those waves was a very courageous act, I thought at the time. <laughs> but once the waves hit, once the body sparks to life, almost sparkles to life in the sparkling waves, we all know this, you never feel more alive. You may have feared walking in there. You may have resisted walking in there. You may have thought of a million excuses not to walk into that ocean. But when you do, there is no more... What can you even call that? It is just such... It's almost being shocked into life when it's cold like that. And when a great wave comes, we can allow ourselves to be shocked into life. And where do we really want to be? Well, we want to be alive. We want to be absolutely alive. And rolling and tumbling and diving in and out of this great life of ours. So each wave can wash us clean, in a way, if we let it wash through. That's the great invitation of the ocean of essential nature. But I want to look at this again with another case of Jiao Zhou's. Dive into this wave a little bit deeper, perhaps. Here's another case. This is case number 477 from the record. It says, while the master was sitting, a monk started to come forward and ask a question. 
the master instantly said, thank you for your trouble. While the monk was trying to express his question, the master said, still? Still? Now this is a very almost teasing kind of case that appears on the surface. It's worth noting actually that Zhao Zhou would end every single one of his Taishos with the words, thank you for your trouble. Thank you for your trouble. There's a politeness in this, a kind of etiquette to this, like, thank you for the trouble it took you to come here, you know, to be here, to listen into the Dharma, to actually just be with one another. It's a beautiful kind of trouble that has led each of us to the cushion. Thank you for that. Thank you for the upsets of your life that have brought you to a place where these upsets can no longer be quite so upsetting, but actually this great clarifying force. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I love that even before this monk has been able to ask a question, he's come up prepared to ask a question, he has a sincere question. Jaujo's just already gone to the end of the Taisho. <laughs> already gone to the very point of whatever response he's going to give. He just says, thank you for your trouble. Even thank you for the trouble of standing up. Thank you for the trouble of being moved to ask a question. All I'm going to offer you is this great thank you for your trouble, which is a gift to you to take into your own heart, to say to yourself, thank you for this trouble. Thank you for the trouble of this world. Thank you for the trouble that is our reality if we agree to meet it. And then the monk, probably a little bit thrown by this Patsy even felt it was rude. You know, Thank you for your trouble. But the monk again, a little bit like our first monk, I admire him. He actually gathers himself because he does have a question and prepares to actually offer this question on, you know, to, to try again, if you like. And you can almost sense the, the awkwardness and the thrownness and the... And the the jolt that this monk has felt. But then Zhao Zhao leans forward and says, still? Now, this could be taken as a kind of admonishment, gentle admonishment, a bit like, have you missed it? Have you missed the point of what I've been offering here? Have you missed the invitation to embrace your own trouble and see that that is the entire path itself? Have you missed this? But I actually think there's a little bit more than just this. That might be an interesting teaching, an interesting directive, if you like, from Zhao Zhou. But I actually think the question itself of still, question mark, still, still, am I still? Am I still? Can I see and touch and experience the stillness at the heart of all things, even the most troubling, vexing, pressing, trying things? Am I still with this? 
What is stillness itself? This, I feel, is the great invitation of Jaujo's here. And it's something that we can ask ourselves on the cushion. Still. Am I still? How can I be still? Particularly in a world of suffering. And remember, this is the great import of this way, is to realise the stillness of what is sometimes called emptiness. Emptiness itself. To realise emptiness, the empty stillness that does not budge, that is always available, that is never astray. We are here on this cushion to realise this for ourselves. No one can give it to you because you already have it. It's not something that can be learned by rote. It is your essential nature and it is the ocean of your essential nature. And there's a poet, Anna Sphere, a Polish poet that I love. She seems to have been a, a great Dharma teacher herself without realising it, which is perhaps the best possible way. <laughs> but she has a poem here called A Plate of Suffering. And I think it does a beautiful job of just showing how if we don't get caught up in imagining this world as a suffering world, and yet we don't get caught up in pretending that it isn't a suffering world, we actually have the chance to truly be here, to truly touch this stillness. <coughs> and this is her poem, it goes like this. This morning, a vast new world is created for me, especially for me. What a luxury, the world of suffering. Outside the window, a city of the world of suffering. Here is an authentic street of that city. Here is a table, a plate, a spoon. A spoon solidly suffering. I will eat my breakfast on it today. Before my house, a car and a driver, both spick and span, just as if real. But this is an appearance. Yesterday, they did not exist. They were made today, especially for me. What a luxury. No effort was spared. Even a fly which sits at the edge of a piece of paper while I write is a new one, a fly of the world of suffering. That world was offered to me so suddenly. It is a precious and rare gift like a noose of diamonds. I wonder at it. My hands grow cold out of wonder. Convex eyelids close softly on my eyes. <coughs> now this very last stanza almost describes Zazen perfectly. I wonder at it, she says. My hands grow cold out of wonder. Now my hands almost disappear in this wonder. I, I almost don't even know what my own hands are anymore. 
in zazen. Just as we can not really know what our legs are in zazen, not even really know what a room is in zazen, not even know what a breeze is. It's all happening, but we don't know it anymore. We're just not so sure of ourselves, not so full of ourselves. And I like that her convex eyelids close softly on my eyes. This is almost exactly like the instruction given for Zazen. Let the eyelids just naturally veil the eyes. We're not straining to see. We're not slamming our eyelids shut as if not to see. We're just allowing ourselves to be. So, this wisdom of acknowledging that this world is created moment by moment by moment. Nothing ever repeats. We're all here for the first time. No wonder we trip around and you know, find it all so interesting, challenging. We've never done this before. Every moment is brand new. And to actually delight in the fact that every moment is brand new, how that turns things around, how that allows us to be so much more natural and playful and actually innocent, innocent in a world that is fraught, as we've touched on, but nevertheless innocent because we're here for each other in new ways, in ways that have never been tried. This is a great adventure. Zazen opens up the adventure of life. <laughs> it's a bit like this is a great adventure playground. So let's risk the monkey bars, risk the great pirate bridge, risk climbing the trees. Let's risk being with each other. It's worth the risk because it is a great adventure. So, even going a little bit more deeper than that, I want to look at what it is that makes this risk or this adventure possible. And this is what I've touched on a little bit here before, this great stillness, this great emptiness, this great friend. There's a deep friendliness to the way a great recognition is possible in this practice to realise that we are okay. This is okay. There is a deep peace available right here, right now. And again, Anna Sphere, this Polish poet, has a poem that is a little bit shorter, but it touches on this touches on the friendliness at the heart of each moment. The poem's called Non-Existent. I hope you can hear the echoes here with empty, with still, with not knowing. Non-existent. She says, where are you, friend? Pure as plant life, more faithful than my own body. The earth gives birth to millions of people, but you are not born. 
There is not even a silence waiting for your voice. No space waiting for the shadow of your moving hand. Non-existent, come to me. Now again, this could be the very prayer at the heart of Zazen. Non-existent, come to me. Non-existent, be me. We're here to realise that this non-existent is us. It actually goes beyond yes and no. Non or (laughs) non-non. It is what we are. We are here to embody it fully, this non-existent, this great friend, this great rest at the heart of the stillness that is at the heart of our practice. And this non-existence is, of course, Buddha nature. Buddha nature. Emptiness itself realised as this very body. It's where emptiness is recognised as no other than form. Form as no other than emptiness. And this is a great segue into this new Buddha figure that we have on our altar right now that I love. I can't believe how perfect this Buddha is for our practice and our Sangha here. I think it is one of the most beautiful Buddha figures I've ever seen. And look at the way there is no inside or outside to this Buddha. It is clearly so. This Buddha is holding nothing back. But it has clearly been through lifetime after lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. So many people who have looked at this Buddha have said it has clearly been through fire. It has clearly been through water, rain. It's probably been buried in the mud. It's certainly been through the furnace of life. And it reminds me again of Zhao Zhou who famously had three turning words which are taken up as koans in the miscellaneous koan collection. And for me they almost summarise as if this could be have a circle drawn around it but almost summarise this Buddha figure that we have. He said, the Buddha made of wood won't pass through fire. If she does, she'll surely burn. The Buddha made of clay won't pass through water. If he does, he'll surely drown. And the Buddha made of gold won't pass through a furnace. If she does, she will surely melt. And finally, Jaojo said, the true Buddha is sitting in the house. You might say the true Buddha is sitting in the ocean of essential nature. He's sitting in this great house. And I love that this Buddha here is so plainly, so humbly sitting in its house. It pushes nothing away. It invites all of us in. It is the great open house of the Buddha Dharma. 
I want to actually just share too the story of how this Buddha came to be here because it is miraculous. <laughs> Susan, looking for a transmission gift, spotted this Buddha online, just a picture of it, and was instantly captivated. And so she made contact with the seller, who actually turned out to be an IT expert who had made so much money through his IT work that he began collecting these Buddhas. It also turned out that he was a serious Buddhist practitioner and had sat in Zen for some time. Mm -hmm. And so Susan said, fantastic, this all feels wonderful. Let's do it. Let's, let's do it. Let's have this Buddha. It just seems the perfect gift. He said, right, I'll go and get it. And of course he couldn't find it. <laughs> it was gone. He searched everywhere through his house, wasn't there. Searched in, he had a storage area and couldn't find it there. And after days of searching, he had to actually contact Susan and say, I haven't got it. It's disappeared. I don't know where it is. And Susan being Susan, thank God, said, well, that's just not good enough. <laughs> You're going to have to keep looking. <laughs> and there is a beautiful practice dimension here too, isn't there? Sometimes we just want to give up and say, I can't find Buddha. I can't find this Buddha. Well, it is the role of the teacher to say, well, that's just not good enough. <laughs> You'll have to keep looking. And Mercifully, I think it was at sort of 3am in the morning, this beautiful IT man woke up and said, oh, there is a shop that years ago I gave some pieces to. There's a chance. I'll contact them. And so he did. He rang up this shop and said, you wouldn't happen to have that, that strange Buddha he described it. And they said, oh, yes, yes, we still have that. And they figure here, it's very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> the price had rocketed <laughs> and he said well look I actually have these people that it is a perfect fit for and I need it back and I'm not going to raise that price I'm actually going to keep that price as it was advertised online which he did. And actually, I should mention just in that context too, that all of the money that he receives from selling these Buddhas, he does not keep for himself. Mm -hmm. He actually gives to any cause that he feels is, is important at that time. So anyway, this Buddha was discovered. It was at a shop in Victoria. Um, Susan contacted Deborah and said, do you think you might be able to go and pick it up? And Deborah, if you know Deborah, you may know that she's actually had a broken spine this year and has had all sorts of trouble, you know, moving and being able to get around. And she said, well, look, I could go and get it, but it's very hard for me to be in a car and to drive. I could probably get to Dramana. And, you know, she lives down on the coast. And so Susan actually contacted the seller and said, well, look, we, is there any chance that the piece could get to Dramana? And then this bloke contacted the shop and the shop assistant said, I live in Dramana. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll drive it there today. Mm. And so all of these great confluences 
came together for this figure because Deborah was able to get it and she was able to bring it up to Seshin and she was able to offer it to us as a Sangha, you know, as a, a new inspiring figure. And I think when you get the chance a little bit later, have a look at the grace of this figure. It is astonishing. And you might even see that there are little flecks of gold on the figure. It was perhaps even covered in gold at some point. You can see the little sparkles and, and uh, the patina of that. And you can also just get a sense of the... I almost don't have words for it. The way this Buddha sits is so grounded, you know, so direct. There's no embellishment. Although I do like that the stand that he sits on has a kind of flickering fire flickering fire, which actually links to the next thing that I just want to talk about before I close this talk off and open up for discussion, and that is the Kiyosaku on the new bench that Alex just made for us. <laughs> um, this Kiyosaku, if we've got the Buddha, then this Kiyosaku perhaps represents the, the Dharma, the tradition. The Kiyosaku was sometimes described as an encouragement stick. It used to be something that the uh, dojo monitors would wield. And if anybody was looking a little bit sleepy and not still enough, they might get a bit of a whack with the Kiyosaku. <laughs> now, happily, we're not in the business of doing that anymore. <laughs> it doesn't go down so well in the West, it turns out. But we do actually offer the Kiyosaku formally in a ceremonial way in sessions. And that's only strictly by request where somebody will put their hands up and gasho. And the tanto will actually just give two quick snap snap on one right shoulder, snap snap on the left shoulder. It doesn't hurt, but a little bit like those waves we talked about, it actually enlivens the practice. Not just for the person who's been tapped on each shoulder, but the entire dojo is just woken up by this snap, 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 snap. And anybody who's experienced that just knows how invigorating that actually is. It's a beautiful thing. But thinking of that fire, Susan Murphy's actually just published her new book, which is called A Fire Runs Through All Things. And that actually comes from a calligraphy that was written on a Kiyosaku. I think it was at John Tarrant's... Um, Susan's teacher, John Tarrant's dojo in America, in California, on the Kiyosaku was, there is a fire that runs through all things. It's a beautiful koan, a beautiful thing to inquire into. And anybody who's held the Kiyosaku, in, you know, it's a tanto, it's your role to hold the Kiyosaku. And Alex can probably attest to this, you can feel the fire, the fire of the tradition, the fire of the ancestors, the fire of our practice. To hold the stick, it is like a fire stick. And it's almost like a lightning rod. And in the morning, it it's opens the dojo, closed, down, pointing down into the earth. And then halfway around the dojo, it is brought up Know, almost like a lightning rod to the sky, joining heaven and earth. 
and then is moved back around the dojo again. It is the great bridge, if you like, the healing point between all things. It is the fire that runs through all things. And then finally, I just want to bring into play, we'll have to hang it, I've brought in the beautiful gift that Castlemaine Zen itself offered at the moment of transition, which is this exquisite scroll image of Kuan Yin, the Bodhisattva of Compassion. And I just want to thank everybody for this gift. This is another treasure for our Sangha. We'll hang it up after I've spoken here. But it is an image of Kuan Yin. And Kuan Yin, as I've said, is the Bodhisattva of Compassion. And as you'll see in the picture, she is sitting there in this vast expanse of emptiness. She's also sitting on what looks to me like a gnashing rock. It's got this big, broad, vigorous calligraphy that has, in a very forthright way, put this gnashing quality of rock upon which she sits comfortably. Now this is an image of exactly what we've been talking about today, of finding our ease in difficulty, of finding our poise in trouble itself. And she is sitting there, famously, open to the cries of the world. She is the one who cannot but hear the cries of the world. And it is her ability to hear those cries and not turn away that gives her her great peace. That is how the great peace is touched. Not by resisting the cries of the world, but by becoming them completely. So completely that right next to her is a vase, and in that vase are the world's tears. The world's tears. And coming out of that vase, as you'll see in this picture, is just a sprig of life. Sometimes it's a flower. I love the humility of this image where it's just, it's almost just a kind of sprig of, of, of leaves in the tree. They almost look like, could be, you know, black wattle fronds or something. And this is the naturalness that grows from being able to receive and hold the cries of the world. To see them not as a problem, but as the salty quality of life itself. This ocean that we live in is salty, salty like tears. To admit that is our way and to learn the skillful means of responding to the cries of the world. That is our way. So Kuan Yin, what a magnificent thing to have whenever we have a formal gathering. You know, our sense of Sangha, you know, we've got Buddha, we've got the Dharma of the Kiyosaka and we have the Sangha of listening in to each other listening into each other. And to round this off, I want to stay with that sense of listening into each other. 
the proposal of the voice was one of listening. Now that listening doesn't just suddenly stop. In fact, we have to listen in more. We have to listen, listen, listen into what people's concerns are, what people's agonies are, what people's intergenerational trauma is. What is it that has brought Australia to this point, that has brought us together like this? And how can we be together well? How can we live together well? And how can we be the medicine that is so desperately needed for each other? So that's our Zen path. And I now just want to open up, after a talk that's gone on longer than I anticipated, <laughs> I want to open up the space a little bit just for us to explore any of what I've touched on there and perhaps even just explore how we might be feeling this morning. How are you adrift and drowning? And where are you adrift and drowning? So thank you for your trouble. Mm -hmm.